purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So if we pause there for a second, we see in verse 22 that when they came for rites of the uh, purification rites, it was required by the law. So we see that right now we're still paying attention to the law. Simeon is righteous according to the law and devout to it. And also we see that Jesus' parents are paying attention to the purification rites required by the law. So they're bringing him, and the first thing that they do is they offer sacrifices in keeping with the law of the Lord. And when you look at even the tradition of the sacrifices, they bring pretty much the bottom of the barrel. They have to at least give a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So we see right off the bat that Jesus was born in some pretty humble circumstances. Verse 25 would make an incredible epitaph. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Isn't that be cool? Now there was uh, a man in White Rock named Dale who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What a powerful passage of scripture. You guys, if you can even bring back to me or go back with me as Mary and Joseph approached the temple to dedicate Jesus to God as the law required, an old man hobbled up Simeon and he intercepted them and this old man was just dying to hold this newborn baby. And I'm not sure what they're thinking. I mean, newborn, this is their first, well, you know newborn parents, the very first one. No germs, no nothing, right? They're just like, eh. But nonetheless, there was something about this situation that they were all too excited to have this old man receive baby Jesus and bless him. And we see right off the bat that Simeon, being a righteous and devout man, he sees into the eyes of this baby who now he's realizing that this is the Lord's salvation. He is holding within his arms hope. Incredible. So the Holy Spirit has actually spoken to him that I will not die until I see the Messiah, the hope of my people. And he is holding hope now. And he's not going, just 15 more years, maybe just 10 more years, he's just like, I am done. I'm good. I'm out of here. You know that we're surrounded by folks like that? We are lucky enough in our church to be surrounded by some folks that are ready. They are ripe. They can hardly wait to go home. You ever, you ever hang out with people like that? <laughs> Got one right here. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty cool because I think most of us, we want to live. 
But when a person actually comes to the point in their life that they're just like, I'm good, I'm ready. There's just something really intriguing about that. And here, Simeon is that guy. No regrets. And now he has seen what the Lord had spoken to him through the Holy Spirit, the promised Messiah. He holds the Messiah in his hands, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In that magical moment, uh, Simeon blessed the child and obviously blessed the couple, but he went from praising to all sudden prophet because right in there he said what this small child would grow up to become, that he would be a blessing to many. But also within that blessing, many will not receive him and he will break the hearts of his parents, what happens to him later on in the future, a foreshadowing of the death that he would endure. Something about Simeon here reminds me of 1 Peter 3, verse 15. This is what it says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Simeon was so dedicated and so believed this movement by the Holy Spirit that he was a man that was guided solely by hope. And that attracts me to Simeon. In 1 Peter, this is what it talks about, that you and I can also revere Christ so deeply within our hearts that we are always prepared to give an answer to everyone for the reason of the hope that we have within us. To me, this is liberating. And since, uh, since the Advent season is also about liberation, I, I, I want to pause here for a second. I used to often feel guilty that I wasn't sharing Christ with everybody that I tripped over on the streets or on sidewalks. Now, I think that's a cool thing to have as a burden for people to know Jesus Christ. But what would happen if we make it a habit to be connected to the powerhouse of Jesus Christ and start our days as, Lord, I know you're at work and I want to be a part of it. That you're ready for holy interruptions. Who knows what Simeon was doing this day when all of a sudden he was prompted to say, it is time to go to the temple. And he had to gather things and rip on over to the temple. I don't know what was going on there. But is there a chance that the Holy Spirit would also work like that in our lives but we're too busy, we're too calculated, we're too type A, and we got things to do, places to go, people to see. Yeah. Truly, Holy Spirit, you can pay attention to that, right? If you have a teenager, you totally know what I'm talking about. They always want to have meaningful talks at ungodly hours. So I'm ready to talk from about 5.30 or 6 in the morning all the way till 9 at night. After that, doors closed. But no, knock, 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 coming home at midnight. Yeah, I just want to talk to you about something. Really? I don't want to talk to you. But you got to hide that. That's your inside voice, right? So you got to be ready to share with whatever you can with a teenager. But it's also a kind of a cute illustration of helping us to understand that we might be busy shopping for this incredible season and we do not want to be interrupted in the food court. Or in the line when we're actually paying for something. Or cut off in traffic. But yet, I think we can learn something from Simeon right here. 
because we know what the future holds. Simeon also knew that the first advent was, was coming. We've seen the first advent. We have a promise fulfilled. Now we're looking for the second advent when he comes and takes us home. So we got some serious hope that we can jam in our hearts and we can be ready to share the hope that's within us. It's pretty exciting stuff. So we've entered the, the, the Advent season, the season of excitement, at anticipation of Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the season of expectant hope. So I want to take a, a look at Simeon and somehow he kept his hope alive even when circumstances around him seemed bleak. And I think the same is for us today. We can look around, we can read the news, and th sometimes things look bleak. But I think we can do stuff and we can take the example of Simeon and maybe cultivate within us, within our hearts, an opportunity for hope and that we're ready to spill out hope on anybody that comes near us. So let me ask you a question. What are you fixing your gaze upon? What are you staring at? What moves you? What is constantly on your mind? What interrupts your day? When you get an opportunity to daydream, what are you daydreaming about? And I think it's a real great telltale sign because it's, I think we're all often a slave to something or we're a slave to someone. You might be going about your day wondering what somebody thinks about you or perhaps you're at work and you're wondering if you're impressing the boss or you're wondering if you can just make your husband happy today, walk around eggshells, I'm not sure. Or perhaps you're a slave to something, and you can hardly wait to get out of here and go home, do some online shopping, I don't know. But oftentimes we're a slave to something, or we're a slave to someone, and that will impact how you live your life. And that will impact if you're ready to share the hope that's within you. I know for a fact, even in my own life, there's times where I'm absolutely distracted by stuff or by people or by my own stupidity sometimes that I'm just so into myself that I would not see Jesus walk in here even if it was really obvious he was still wearing you know, the crown of thorns. I still wouldn't notice him because I'm still so focused in myself. What is it that we're gazing upon? What is it that so distracts us what is it that we're a slave to? What are we a slave to? Here's a guy that had so cultivated a, a life with Jehovah that just like Abraham, when he was ready to sacrifice his son and the Lord says, wait, as he's holding up the dagger. Remember that story? Incredible, Genesis 22. But as he's about to obey the Lord, and kill a son, kind of interesting. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, go read it so you don't think I'm crazy here, okay? But Abraham, just like Simeon, they're attuned to the voice of God. You know, in youth group, I'm pretty pumped about it. I don't know if the youth are, but I'm pretty pumped about it. We're going through this curriculum, and I'm so excited because to me it makes sense when the kiddos understand who they are in Jesus Christ, who others are, and that they've been given um, gifts, gifts by the Holy Spirit of God, that they actually have a voice, that they actually have hope, and that they can be used by God. And I'm excited, and I wish I knew this as a kid, because the Holy Spirit of God wants to use your grade four kid, wants to use your grade seven kid, wants to use your grade 12 kid. I don't know. 
And I just wish I would have gotten that when I was young. And I hope our kiddos get it. Because to me, it's just really exciting when we're ready to share the hope that's within us. What is hope? Here's a definition, a working definition uh, from the dictionary here. It says, to cherish a desire with anticipation, to trust, to desire with expectation of obtainment, to expect with confidence. That was pretty cool what Jada said this morning, huh? We didn't rehearse that. <laughs> really. And I just thought, wow, this is really cool. To desire with expectation of obtainment, to expect with confidence. So when the word says that Simeon looked for the consolation of, of Israel, the word act looks the word looked actually means to fix your gaze in a certain direction. So let me say that again. So when he looked for the consolation of Israel, the word looked actually means to set your gaze in a certain direction. Fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. You know that. But how many times is our gaze taken off the goal or the prize? And some of it's worthy stuff. You have health concerns. You have a kiddo that's going off the rails. Your health. But a lot of times, you guys, these are distractions that are taking our eyes off the goal. And they are very important. Please hear me. They're very important stuff. But sometimes we actually just, by a couple degrees, take our eyes off of Jesus and now our eyes are totally on our health or totally on paying the bills or totally on pleasing somebody or trying to reach your teenager and no longer on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who knows all about that stuff. Simeon's name actually means to hearken or to listen or to be obedient. To hearken or to listen or to be obedient. We don't know how old this guy was. Some traditions think he was over 100 years old, 113 years old, like some of you. <laughs> just kidding. The Bible says he was devout. And what does devout mean? It just really means like it's, he's not tossed to and fro. And to me, this is a word for us today. So are you devout or are you tossed to and fro? You guys, there are so many distractions and so many new thoughts. I mean, every day there's a new uh, definition of sexuality, it seems like, and it's being jammed down our throats. And there's so many things like, like even drug use and all that stuff that now we as Christians have to grapple with. We have to grapple with because it's in our government and it's legislated and all this other stuff. So now we're just going, oh my goodness. So if you're not grappling with us, I don't know if you're under a rock or something, but it's really important that we do grapple with this stuff. And maybe it is healthy for us because as it's jammed down our throats, maybe we wake up because we don't want to choke on all this stuff and we have to think it through. We have to think it through because if we want to actually live for Christ, we will actually push back and think about, wait a second, what does it mean to renew my mind? What does it mean to live like a Christian? What does it mean to engage my mind, which will inform my heart and still help me serve others, but also with an informed mind? This is really important. Really important. So the Bible says that he was a devout disciple. He was not tossed to and fro. He was stable and he was God-fearing. 
Ephesians 4 verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So it seems as though a characteristic of somebody that's actually growing up, and we've talked about this lots, that we all grow old, but we don't have to grow up, right? So, I, I mean, even in my, my goal is to grow up someday, and I'm hoping that as I look back at my journal and stuff, that I can look back and go, so cool, but I've grown a lot. And I'm not saying you don't have blips, but I'm hoping that we can look back at our lives and even our kiddos can look at us and they can just say, you know, when I was young, dad struggled with this, but wow, has he ever grown? I just hope that there is this opportunity for people to witness growth in us, maturing in us. We're dedicated to not remaining infants, just gobbling up the milk that we have in Christ, but actually learning to know what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live for Christ every day? What does it mean to fix my hope and my gaze on the very one who gives me strength? So let's be honest. It's easy to be tossed to and fro or to become a slave to something. Uh, making money, spending money, relationships, self-help, success in our careers, greed, fry, uh, Black Friday shoppers, all of it. We can become slaves to all that stuff. This stuff in and of itself isn't wrong, but it sure can become distracting to the point where, like Abraham or Simeon, the opposite of them would be they're too busy or too distracted to hear the calling and the voice of God. It's time to go to the temple. It's time to put down the knife, Abraham. It's time. I think it's also interesting that the Bible doesn't seem to nail down where did Simeon come from? Like, who is he a part of? Which sect is he a part of? Because I think we like to also take pride in that. Like, hmm, he's a Mennonite. My people. Or he's Irish or whatever. And you go, yeah, that's right. I'm good. I'm a little more holy than you because Simeon was Irish. He probably wasn't Irish. <laughs> Maybe Mennonite. But nobody can claim a corner on God. And I think that's also the beauty of why he did stuff in, with Joseph and with Mary. Because everybody's going, what? It makes, it makes no sense. In fact, even when people commented on Jesus, they knew where he was from. They're like, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, pfft. And it just blows people away. Because God does that kind of thing. You and I think we need royalty or we need somebody that's obviously in the line to, to lead us. And here God blows us away in this whole upside down kingdom and he grabs somebody that none of us were expecting. And he still does that kind of thing. Here we have Simeon. He becomes a slave to hope. And there's three things really quickly that I'm going to touch on. But three things that blow me away about Simeon is number one, verse 27, we see that Simeon learned, he learned, I don't think it came natural, but he learned to be sen uh, sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Simeon learned to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He was ready to listen. Secondly, Simeon learned to, drum roll please, wait. Waiting is lame, right? But somehow, Simeon learned to wait for the consolation of Israel. Some of you are running ahead of yourselves trying to fix your kids or trying to fix this and that 
And sometimes you forget that sometimes uh, it's a holy thing to just simply wait and trust the Lord. The Lord is doing something. In fact, I've given advice sometimes where people are, are really hopeful, which is awesome, for their kiddos. And they really, really want to share with them the gospel again. Or tell them how this decision is not good again and again and again. It's actually a godly thing sometimes to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I know you're at work in my son. And I want to be a part of it. I want to be ready to share the hope. But sometimes that also means zip it. Sometimes it does. And I think that's why we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Because there's times he wants you to be quiet. And there's definitely times he wants you to say something or do something. Being sensitive to the Holy So he was good at cultivating or learning to be sensitive to the promptings. He was good at learning to wait for the cons consolation of Israel. And also, thirdly, I think Simeon learned to live with real hope. He had an expectancy that Jesus was coming. He had an expectancy that the Messiah was coming. The comforter was coming. So in this, he was sensitive uh, to the Holy Spirit promptings. He learned to wait, and he always had this kind of pit bull bite on life that he's coming sometime here. I have hope. I know it's happening. I know it because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. And in verse 29, out of those three characteristics of Simeon, in verse 29, he can say, now dismiss your servant in peace. I find that incredible that he's holding the baby with these two um, onlooking parents blown away. And as he's holding the baby, he says, awesome, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I remember way back, I used to work in a carpet department and I was working with a, a sect of Mennonites. It was called the Holdemon. You don't know how to say that, Holdemon, you know? And the Holdemon, it was really interesting because expressing their faith uh, one guy was sharing with me that his old grandpa wanted to go out and see the apples in the apple or orchard just one last time. And as he went out to the, the, to the apple trees, he picked one apple and then he took out his jackknife and he cut it and he says, they're ready, they're good to go. And that, I think that or the next day was his last. It's kind of neat, right? End of life or I'm ready to go. And I, I wonder sometimes if there's something in us here that we have this incredible grip on hope, that we know how to listen to the Holy Spirit, we also know how to wait. And maybe it also then means that as disciples, we're good to go. But maybe for now, let's ask this question. Are you, am I ready to be dismissed from slavery? Some of us don't know Jesus Christ yet in this room. And some of you do, but you're still wrapped up in memories. You're still wrapped up in, in um, abuse of some kind that could be drinking or it could be drugs or whatever. Some of you are looking at stuff on the internet you shouldn't, and we are actually in bondage, even though we want Jesus real bad. Are you ready to be dismissed from slavery? And I think one of the things to help with that dismissal of slavery of the kind we don't want is to ask this question, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What's on your mind? What's on your heart?
What are you thinking about? I've said it to you, and I'm a really simple guy, but I've said it to you so many times that if you just stare at the thing you're tempted by, by worry or bitterness, and you just keep your eyes stayed right there, I don't want to worry today. Well, you said worry 16,000 times today because you said I don't want to worry, that you're going to worry. If you keep your eyes fixed on your worry, fixed on your bitterness, fixed on your anger, fixed on wondering what's going to happen with your son or your daughter, well, gee whiz, you're going to worry and you're going to be fixed on that all day, which means you're not fixed on Christ and what he can pull off in your life. And this is huge. I know it's huge for me and it's huge for many of us in this room is that you have been a slave far too long to sometimes an admirable thought, your kid or your marriage or forgiveness, but you're holding on to bitterness and it's just like, you're staring at what is tripping you up. Therefore, you're no longer staring at hope. It's very important what our gaze is upon. What holds your heart? What is it? I think we need to realize that Simeon was called of God, but he also then, he had to not only keep his gaze on Jesus Christ, but that also means that he had to keep his gaze off of other things. So there's a decision to be made here, even with good old Simeon and with you and I today. Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. Simeon waited for that first entrance of Jesus. And uh, incredible, because I wonder sometimes, and I miss this, and I've told you this before, that when I was back in Bible college, I was surrounded by some old men and ladies that they just walked and talked Jesus. And I was just like, it was just so humbling and incredibly good for me to walk among these people of hope that were ready to go anytime. Now dismiss your servant in peace because I was surrounded by people that had Christ on their minds and not just the busyness of life. So a great reminder of what are you actually portraying to your kiddos? Are you go, 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 go? Or actually there's something peaceful that somebody actually likes hanging out with you because there's just something about you even though you still have a job, even though you're, you know, you're still involved in many things, that there is a peace about you because your hope and your gaze is focused on Christ and Christ alone. The word depart, when he says, now let your servant depart in peace, the word depart actually has a few meanings. It means to release a prisoner. It means to untie a ship and set sail or to take down a tent or to unyoke a beast of burden. Untie a ship and set sail to take down a tent or to unyoke a beast of burden. Release a prisoner. And I think, like Simeon, we can be in this role today. Can, uh, is today the day for you to be released from something? Is today the day for you not only to be released from something, but to set your gaze on something meaningful, on someone meaningful, on the hope of your salvation? Hope will affect what you watch, what you think about, what you talk about, where you spend your time, how you treat your kids, how you treat your spouse. It'll change the way you approach your job. You might have the lamest job ever. Who cares? When you have a hope set before you, you can do the lamest job ever. You don't just work for a payday anymore. Now you work for a purpose. 
purpose of serving God and sharing Christ with coworkers and customers. On, uh, on Thursday, this place was full of crazy kids. And um, I asked them something about their mission in life. You remember that guy from the Olympics? Um, what was his name? Eric what? Pardon me? Liddell? Okay. So the guy that was called to China, but then he was such an incredibly fast runner that he actually had a spot in the Olympics. And people questioned him whether, hey, you know, why aren't you going to China right away? And there was something interesting about him because he really felt right in the zone that he and the Lord were most pleased when he was using his gifts to the glory of God. He felt the Lord's pleasure when he ran fast. Interesting, eh? And people commented that when he, when he went through the finish line, he would just throw up his hands and look up to the sky, and there was just something about him that there was a pleasure about him. I wonder sometimes if some of us are no good at understanding that the Lord just might find pleasure in you. So, if you can believe it, we did this exercise at youth on Thursday, but I think this is also for you. We asked this question, what burdens you? When you read the news or when you look around, what is it that really tugs at your heartstrings and you go, oh God, I just, uh, it drives me crazy. It still could be slavery. It could be the drug trade. It could be anything that just really is pulling you down and really is heavy on your heart. What is it that's heavy on your heart? What burdens you? Secondly, we ask this question of the youth, what's a passion of yours? What gives you tons of passion? What do you just love? You know, at this point, we hope that it's legal and moral. <laughs> but nonetheless, what's your burden? What breaks your heart? And secondly, what gives you tons of passion? Okay? A answer those two questions. And then thirdly, have you ever felt that the Lord was impressing something upon you? Have you ever felt that the Lord was giving you vision? And I'm not saying yeah, you have to be in some kind of crazy trance and you're going, no, I don't want to talk about it. No, no, I'm saying that sometimes you just go, it seems as though the Lord is really putting David on my heart. Or it seems the Lord is really putting the Sunday school ministry on my heart. Or it really seems that he's calling me into or drawing me into short-term missions. I don't know. You know. And what does he seem to be doing? And if you don't know that yet, you know your burden and you know your passion, but you don't quite know yet that vision, then go home and figure it out. And ask the Lord, Lord, I would love to not just warm a pew, and it doesn't even matter how old you are. What is it that he's giving you a passion, a passion and a vision to do here on earth? And if you keep staring at everything you can't do, oh, I used to be able to run. Oh, I used to be able to walk fast. Oh, I used to... Oh, you are constantly just staring at what you can't do instead of the purpose that God has for you here and now. And the people said, he's got something for you. What is your burden? What breaks your heart? What gets you pumped? What do you sense that the Lord is saying and speaking into your life? And that will give you your mission. I don't care if that's sharpening pencils for the church or buying candy for the kiddos or, if, you know, if, if it's a helps kind of ministry that nobody notices. Who cares? Find your purpose by having your hope set, by having your gaze set on the hope that is available to each and every one of us. God had embraced Simeon 
And now Simeon got to embrace God in the form of Jesus Christ. So I'll leave you there with that question. Has God embraced you? And if he has, have you embraced him and his purpose for your life? Perhaps we can learn something from Simeon today. Maybe we can learn how to wait. Maybe we can learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to be directed by him. And maybe we can learn to really live with hope, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ and not just every distraction that comes our way. God wants to embrace you, my friends. So what are you hoping for? What takes up most of your time and thoughts? What do you need release from? What do you find yourself daydreaming about? Today we celebrate hope. And you have the hope within you that you're ready to share on a spur of the moment. What is your gaze upon? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. And I thank you for this incredible, incredible portion of scripture that shows us a man that has been chosen nothing great about his resume or anything like that because we don't know much about him but there was something about him and he was righteous and devout and lord you did mighty works in him and father i pray that my friends here including myself that we would learn to do just that that we would learn lord jesus to understand that you want to speak to us you want to speak to us and lord there's also nothing wrong with some good good old holy waiting understanding that we don't always have to be rushing and all that stuff, but that we would actually wait, that we would be in the presence and we would trust our holy God, our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, help us to have a pit bull kind of grab or bite on what it means to be hopeful people, people that hope with expectancy that you will show up and you will do something. Father, we want to be people of hope. We love you, Lord Jesus. And as we come to the communion table, we just ask that you'd remind us of that, that this should solidify that we can have hope. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. And I just saw the Christiansons here. And who is this little one right here? Who is this? Jasper. Jasper? Why don't we pray for Jasper? Sound good? Lord, we love babies. And Jesper is so lucky to be loved so deeply by Reed, by Marnie, and many brothers and sisters. Father, we pray a covering over him, that Lord Jesus, that this little guy would sense that love, he would be directed by you, that he would know your sweet pleasure on his life. And that, Father, you would help these parents, Lord, to give them the skills Give them the tools they need to raise them up, to love Jesus, and to have good relationships with his uh, brothers and sisters and mom and dad. And that, Lord, also that he would be a force to be reckoned with in our community as he keeps his gaze on Jesus Christ. Thank you for him, Lord. Cover him also with safety and with strength. And thank you for these parents. And, Lord, we come around them and we support them. In the name of Christ, amen.